Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wonder and Learn podcast. My name is Ronnie and I'm a homeschool mum of four children from the southwest of England. Each week we will be discovering more about how children learn and develop so that we can create an environment that lights up their minds, sparks their imaginations and enhances learning. I hope this podcast will inspire you to bring wonder and joy into your child's education. I am so excited today to have Alison Adrian as a guest on the podcast. She is a homeschool mum of four from the USA and she's going to introduce herself, I know in a second, but I'm just really pleased to have her on today to talk about Charlotte Mason's method of language learning, foreign language learning, the series method, which was first um, introduced by a man called Francois Guan. And I'm so excited to find out all about this method today. Welcome, Alison. Thank you. I am very excited to be here and talking with you. So and... please just tell us a bit about yourself. Okay, my, my background actually is in intercultural communication. And I have had the privilege of teaching at the McDonough School of Business at Georgetown University for 25 years now with that specialty. And I'll make it clear, that's not a foreign language specialty. I go in and I help people understand how different cultures have different ideas about asking questions, solving problems, communicating in general. And so I have done that. When I started having children, um, after about the second one, I realized I needed to, to do that more part-time and Georgetown was brilliant to let me do that. And then about the time my children got school age, a good friend of mine put me onto Charlotte Mason and her volumes that she wrote. And I did what academics do. I read all six volumes in one go. Didn't digest them, but I read them. And I thought, wow, here's someone who's thought very, very deeply. I think I'd like to do this. I went and was visiting schools in the US and everywhere I went, I would see what they did and I'd go, oh, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that better. So I decided to homeschool my children and I started going to the Arlington, Virginia, Charlotte Mason study group, a brilliant group led by Linda Dean. And it wasn't very long before I realized I couldn't do this. <laughs> and we joined a Charlotte Mason co-op, which after about three, maybe four years, I found myself in charge of. And I really needed to get very serious about studying and practicing this largely because I saw I was getting in the way of my own children's learning, that I was the problem. I was studying Charlotte Mason, but I was still teaching like Allison teaches. And uh, so I had to sit down and have a, a serious talk with myself and consider if I was getting in the way of my own children's learning, was I getting in the way of my university students learning? And so my study of Charlotte Mason completely transformed what I did at home, but it also transformed how I taught at the university. And so I have been very excited to continue that journey, to learn, to, to be a better teacher, 
to build those relationships with my children and with all the subjects that and poets and authors, artists that we get to study. It's been quite the adventure. That's just amazing. It's interesting to hear about how you've adjusted the way you teach at university as well. You know, once you know about Charlotte Mason's philosophy, I think it just completely changes your idea of what an education should be. And you just start to see everything differently. And you start to realize how important things like living books are and narration and, you know, the kind of learning that can go on just for, from having discussions rather than doing lots of written work, for example. It's just really interesting, isn't it? You have to hold that, that attention, I think, and which we've lost at the university. So I did at some point, I realized if this is true, then this is what I should be doing. So I do use living books at the university and I require my students to narrate. And you know, we, it's a very different approach. That is really interesting how you're using it at university as well. I'm really interested in how you got interested in how Charlotte Mason taught foreign language learning, because it's quite different, I think, to how language, foreign language learning traditionally happens at schools at the moment. Um, it seems to be a method that not many people are doing, unless they know about Charlotte Mason, not very many people are using this kind of method. So what got you interested in that in the first place? I have always loved learning languages. I was a German and French major as an undergraduate at university. Um, but I also, I don't think I was unusual in that I loved it. I would still panic about speaking. And when you got to lots of different verb tenses, you know, there was what Charlotte called intellectual panic that could, that could step in. So you wanted to speak and yet you were worried about making mistakes. And I felt like I was a very typical student for the United States. You know, even if I'd spent a lot of time in it, it was still hard for me to speak. Uh, I'm embarrassed to say I had been practicing her methods at home, but when it came to languages, I was still paying big bucks for all these other foreign language curricula trying to implement them. Uh, most of them didn't work for more than a few days. And if I finally thought, wait a minute, <laughs> Miss Mason was teaching three to five languages to her students twice a week, and they were speaking, I really ought to sit down and investigate this. And so actually our study group asked me if I would try to find out what she had done and make a presentation on it. So I did finally manage to get a copy of Francois Gouin's book on the art of, of teaching languages. It was not so easy in those days to get those books. And I read his work and I just found it brilliant. And so I, I kind of scoured for anything that she said about how she had done it. I acquired as many of the textbooks that were used in Francois Gouin's schools because he opened schools all over the continent and uh, in the UK and is incredibly successful. And so I read as much as I could and looked to see how she applied it and what I could deduce from, from the textbooks that were generated. And I gave this presentation. Uh, and there was a Charlotte Mason school locally in Virginia who sent their Spanish teachers to that presentation. And out of that came a series of talks with Ambleside Schools International. And I worked with their Spanish teachers for two years to pilot a bunch of series because we could, I felt we couldn't use all of Goan's series. They were 
things like the maid lights the stove and it was a 24 step process. You know, that was, that's not our, it would be interesting, but that's not our life today. So we wanted to have series that would work for children or students today. And we created those new ones and we piloted them for a couple of years. Um, and I was piloting them at home too. So it really kind of grew out of a love of language. I will say I, when I was reading Francois's book, he has his first series, I Open a Door. And I think that original one was 11 steps. And I had little kids at home and I just taught it to them and they loved it and they remembered it. And I was hooked. I thought this man is onto something. It was real. And to this day, they all remember that series. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, was, it, it was, there was something very special going on. So it, it really attracted my attention. Um, and so I have, I've been working with that method now for about 12 years. I've been homeschooling for 18 years, but with that method for about 12. Brilliant, brilliant. And um, for those who have may, are maybe coming across this method for the first time, could you just explain a little bit about what the method involves? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I might just take a moment, if it's okay, to explain even how Francois found it and that he was a Frenchman who wanted to learn to speak German and he found it impossible. He would take classes and he would learn, but he couldn't speak. He would try and learn 10 words a day out of the dictionary and go out and not be able to speak. You know, he just, he, try, he, he goes to Germany and thinks, okay, if I'm surrounded and he still can't speak. But then he's walking one day with a young child of three or four and they're walking to a mill. And on the way home, he finds that this young child can tell him everything about what the mill does. First it's this, then it's that, then, you know. And he has this epiphany, which is very similar to the one that Charlotte Mason had, that we learn well things that we can narrate, things that have a beginning, middle, and an end, and that we can describe what we see. Even a young child can describe them where there's this sequence, right? So he, he immediately starts creating some, and he was teaching some German children to speak French. And he, he says, okay, today we're going to do this series, I open a door, which is, I walk to the door, I draw near to the door, I approach the door, I stop. I stretch out my arm, I grab the door handle, I turn the door handle, the door turns on its hinges. And there are a few more steps. But he teaches it to them in French. And then he says, now you teach me in German. Now, the big thing was, these were full sentences. They were things that could be acted out. And the emphasis was on learning the verbs. Okay. Well, those children teach him that series in German. And he finds he can remember it. And he can use those verbs to make new sentences. And he's off. And he starts creating what he calls series. There's a sequence of things. So something that's got a beginning, middle, and an end. They are things that can be acted out. They are things that are part of everyday life because the goal was to be able to speak about everything in your life. And Guan just starts creating them. And he created about 50 series that he thought if you learned these 50 things, you could speak about everything in life. So you would say for that series, I open the door, 
a teacher would say it and act it out, but in the native tongue of the student. Okay, so if I'm teaching my children, they speak English. So I would, would do that and I would speak the English to them. I, and it's many steps, right? I, I walk to the door, I draw near to the door, I approach the door, I stop. Or um, there might be a series about playing with the ball. I take a ball, I throw the ball, the ball flies through the air, the ball falls to the ground, I catch the ball. You know, you have, you have these things happening, lots of steps. And then you ask bit by bit for the student, okay, what happens first? Or what's the first thing we do? Okay, I walk toward, all right? And then you teach that in the new language, bit by bit. So I walk, je marche in French, je marche, and they repeat it three times. And then I would, might ask using a French question, qu'est-ce que je fais ensuite? What do I do next? And they give me the verb in English, I teach it to them in French. We work our way through it, okay? So you do all of that. And then I, as the teacher, model the whole thing and they just listen. The big thing at this point, Goan was very big on, you need to listen, not be reading, not be writing, just listening and hearing it. So I actually say it and act it out in its entirety and they listen. And then they're still quiet, but they, they act it out with me. Then I say it a third time and they don't, they don't say it, but I'm not acting it out. They have to do all the actions as I do it. And then finally, they simply say the whole thing. So it's very much you're listening and learning. And then what happens is you ask questions. So we brainstorm questions together. What are the questions we could ask about this? And it's going to end up being a narration. Charlotte Mason said a narration is a question the mind has posed to itself. So these questions need to come from the, from the students. What are questions we could ask? Why do I play with the ball? Why do I walk to the door? Okay, pourquoi marche je vers la porte? Okay, so we learn to ask them in the new language, whatever that target language is. And once we've brainstormed them all, I say, okay, now it's your turn. You ask, like you ask me, I'll answer. I ask you, you answer. Or if you have multiple students, you take turns asking them. So you're speaking the language from the very beginning and you're using what you know. Um, and then for fun, you know, he suggested you can put things together like, may I say, est-ce que je peux dire? And then put in, you know, could I say, I, um, okay, I'm going to open the door, right? J'ouvre la porte. Could, est-ce que je peux dire, may I say, j'ouvre the wall? Can I open the wall? No. Est-ce que je peux dire, may I say, j'ouvre the table? So maybe, maybe it depends on the kind of table you have, but it's a combination, it's not immersion, it's a combination of your native tongue and the new language, and you're asking those questions. And after you've done all that to test for comprehension and you're, you're making sure people are thinking, using what they have, then I simply ask for a narration. Okay, now, narrate the series to me. And it is a narration. So they're gonna narrate as much as they can at the end of that lesson. And then the next lesson, I also begin by asking them, narrate, narrate this series for me. And the series, you know, the point is not to, 
get the series perfectly because the series are a tool, right? They're a tool to help us speak. And I tell people, you do not read Cinderella to your children until they can narrate it perfectly. You know, you're working towards that goal of narrating. So you also don't stay on a series forever either until people have it right. I had a, an email from someone once telling me that she was still on this one series and her son couldn't roll his R's properly and they'd been doing it for a month. And I thought, oh, this poor child, let him go on to a new one. And you do a series, you know, basically for two, maybe three lessons. And then you go to the next one and they build. This was, this was one of Charlotte Mason's favorite things is the series build on each, on each other. So the same verbs come up, you add new nouns, you learn a few new verbs. And so if you don't get it the first time, you, you could get it the second or third, you're gonna hear it. But it's amazing how quickly you can start speaking. Okay, so, and we know neuroscience tells us now that what you act out actually helps in terms of language acquisition. And, you know, I like to say you're making real estate from that new language in your mind. That's not a very scientific way of putting it, but it does capture the idea. Um, and we know that what we narrate, narration is this internalizing. So it's almost when you tell back, you have taken something into yourself. It's not this rote learning. You are making it a part of you. And it's almost like teaching. And we know that things that you teach you remember 90% of what you teach. So we find that children, students who narrate these series that tend to remember them. Sometimes they might have to wait a second. Um, I was just working with a student yesterday and she's like, uh, I've got it. Just give me a moment. I've got it. And, you know, and then it came. But she had it. She had it beautifully. And it's been a week since she'd done it. So that was the basic of the method, I think. The other part that's a little different for people today it, with the series method is the grammar was done differently. The grammar was done using the series. So if you wanted to learn uh, verb conjugations, okay, you're learning them with ser a series. So I can say, I throw a ball, but then I could also say, he throws a ball. And we're gonna learn that as a series and the verb changes or Francois Guam was really did not like all the grammatical vocabulary. He didn't want students having to learn the names of different verb tenses. But he would say, what are the concrete periods of time? You know, he's like today, yesterday, tomorrow. We've got years, we've got months and weeks and the lifespan of a man. And he breaks those down so that you're learning to say, Okay, this morning, if you're wanting to ask, you know, have you done your chores today? Okay, have you done your chores this morning? Okay, that's what you would say, right? And you might answer, I did my chores at 11 o'clock, or I have just done my chores, or I will do my chores in a minute, or this afternoon I will be doing my chores, or this evening I will do them, right? Well. If you hear that, that's a lot of different forms of the verb, right? That are used for those. And that was really just for today. In English, we have six or seven different forms of the verb. That's a lot, but, but everyone gets it right. They use it appropriately. And so his idea was to introduce it that way. Let's learn how to say, 
this morning I have done my chores. And then later you can find out what the name of that is in French or German or something else, but you're learning it from the context of a concrete time. So his approach to grammar was very much tied to the series development and tied to very concrete things. And so that, that I wanted to mention because I think that's very distinct. Yeah, thank you very much for that explanation, Alison. I think you explained it really clearly. And I know that the people listening to this are going to take a lot away from that because you've just explained it so perfectly how you do the whole method and how it's a narration and how you ask questions. And it's it's fine to use both the languages because, you know, that's how you, you need to learn a foreign language. You need to be asking questions. You know, how do you say this in yeah. French or whatever? And it's so important. And I really love the way that Guan puts it, puts words right into sentences from the beginning. So you have the word in context right from the beginning. It just helps so much with understanding because, you know, if you just sit there and learn vocabulary lists, you know, you don't have the context of how that word is used and when it is used. But if you have it within the context of a sentence, you start to be able to understand what it means much more easily, I think, don't you? I also love how he emphasizes verbs so much as well, because it's really, there's no point knowing just lists of nouns because you need the verbs in order to create a sentence, right? <laughs> no, it's interesting because before I started working with this, I hadn't thought about it, but our minds really do seem to be able to hold on to verbs. And young children love acting out the verbs. And I yeah. counsel people, if you're working with young children and all they can do are the verbs, let them because they're learning and it's wonderful. But all of us seem to be much, it's much easier for us to learn that. And I don't know what your textbooks are like in the UK, but here it's not uncommon. There'll be 500 nouns in a unit and no one remembers them all, um, which is interesting. And then people can't use them but they don't do very many verbs. I'll, I'll yeah. go through textbooks and you know, in some of them, all they're really doing is to be, which is not a very active verb. It's actually very hard to act out. Um, and I sometimes will encourage people, if you're trying to come up with actions to use sign language, and I think American sign language doesn't even have an action for to be. So um, I think I remember- yeah. There's actually like um, Turkish, for example, it doesn't really have a verb for to be and you have to kind of create it in other ways. So, you know, right. even like lang some languages don't really have that so, concrete verb, you know. So I just think I really like that he starts with this idea of taking and walking and things that that we do do. And then he says, well, you know, if you can take a book, you can take an idea. If you can open a book, you can open your mind. You, you can use these in ways, and I'll often ask students, what else can we open? And they generate, you know, they're engaged, they are attending. And I think that's so key because the method is designed to have you attending and thinking about what you're learning at every step. And you're yeah. tested for that. And to me, that's very different. Yeah, um, and I love how, you know, the verbs obviously are linked with actions because, you know, a verb is an action word. Um, and then obviously you can do the actions yourself and it is just so much better because I remember um, when I first started to use um, the books, 
that you created and we'll talk about that a bit later on but you know with my own children and we did the first series I you know I take the book I open the book I close the book um and yeah just physically having the book there and yeah. physically opening it physically closing it it just really enhances learning and also the memory you know they remember it that action is linked to you know them remembering the words and it all just joins together and it makes it so much easier the next time you go to do it you know if you get the book in front of them they just suddenly start to remember it's actually quite astonishing and um just going back to verbs again you know because I'm a speech and language therapist quite often when we see young children and they have a language delay it's often because they don't have enough verbs That's you know, they may they're at the one word stage and they're mm -hmm. just maybe naming things and you test their verb vocabulary and you think well actually they haven't got very many verbs if they and then you can say to the parent you know increase their knowledge of verbs and then they'll start to put the two words together and that's how they start to join sentences and start to produce sentences so that's you know that's... as I was reading Guan's book I was like linking it to my work and what I see working with young children just acquiring English their first language you know and it's just exactly the same process because you know he developed his method from watching a child acquire their first language so he's basically doing exactly the same method to enable people to learn a second language he's just following the same natural processes the same way he talks about it a lot doesn't see doesn't he how children learn in nature how children learn a language naturally um so yeah it's just really really fascinating it is and you know charlotte talks about the verbs being the king words and so i didn't know that about uh, about you know children needing more verbs but i believe it because i i do see how powerful that is and one thing i didn't say but to your point about like your children you know opening you know it's it's interesting to me how long series will stay with with kids and that's one of the things that that both Charlotte and Francois thought was so powerful is if you learned one language with these series, then when you were ready to add another language, because Charlotte thought you should learn at least two, um, you already you already knew the series. And so um, I can remember we were piloting some, doing some Russian series and had some younger kids in the room and and we were saying, okay, who can say, I forget what series it was, but you know, I was asking older students, who can say this series? And there was a six-year-old in the corner who popped up and said, I know that one, and you know, just put it out there. So it really does stay with them. But the other thing I really like about it that, that Charlotte had everyone do was after you've learned three or four series, you let the students make their own. So you take what they know and let them make a new series. And that's so much fun. I mean, there's so much ownership of that. And, and you might let, you know, you might let individual students make it, you might have everyone work on one together, but using what they know. But I see people, the fire just is lit in their eyes when they do that, because they suddenly realize how many words they do know, how many new things they could talk about. And it's fun. I mean, it's just delightful. That sounds really fun. I'm going to try that with my kids now as well, because we haven't tried making up our own series yet. Um, so that's definitely something I'm going to do. Um, I was wondering about your journey with it, using it with your own children. What was it like, you know, when you started to use it and how have you seen like the progress and everything? How has it been for you? 
Okay, well, my poor kids were the guinea pigs because I was learning, right, as I was doing it. But in our house, the rule was you had to learn two languages. And I chose German as the common language that everyone learned. And then they could choose. And my children being my children, uh, they didn't agree on what their second languages were going to be. So we had French, Spanish, and Italian going. So you can imagine. So I say that because our German lessons we would do together. So I would have, have uh, three or four of them in the room, depending on the year. And uh, with my youngest, there's, a, there's an age span. I had three children two years apart, and then my fourth came six years later. So when everybody's together, for her sake, since she's younger, I would do something for the first 10 minutes that was appropriate for her and then let her go. And then we could you know, take it to the next level with the others. Um, so there was a lot of flex, but say for German, I would have, you know, three teenagers in the room talking and asking questions to each other. And they didn't know it, but I knew having started, I started the study of German in what was our seventh grade. Okay. There's no way in high school, I could have sat around with my friends talking and saying what they were saying. Okay. Um, so I knew that they were talking a great deal. And they could make uh, new sentences, which we required. They could do all kinds of things. And one year they were going to an immersion camp um, for two weeks. And so we did kind of a series boot camp for three weeks before. We did a series every day before they went. Because I thought we'll get them ramped up. They could, they could speak so well while they were there. They knew so much. And what I found was after two weeks of the immersion, I'm not convinced that they learned that much from the immersion camp. They brought a lot of songs home. They loved singing the songs. They were enthusiastic, but they didn't know what they were singing. And because they didn't know what they were saying, they couldn't use that vocabulary. So that was kind of a lesson to me that one of the nice things about this was they could speak. Now, I think in the US at least, when we teach foreign languages traditionally, what people think of as a foreign language lesson is you're gonna sit down and do a grammar table for just about every single lesson. We're gonna learn something, we're gonna put it into a table and we're gonna have a few sentences. And maybe we'll read a dialogue that's already written for us, but we're just reciting the dialogue. So I think, you know, they felt, they were a little worried because they're like, we, we don't know grammar tables. <laughs> it's like, it's okay. I'll teach you to fill in a grammar table a little bit later, but they could speak a lot. And um, when my oldest one went to test for language proficiency, because she also decided to major in German at university and she was doing her test, it was an online test with understanding, you were listening and you know understanding. And it was a test that's, you know, they just said, this could be from 30 minutes to three hours based on how much you know. And at two hours, it was still going. And I could tell she was getting a little worried. I'm like, you know a lot, you know, <laughs> it's okay. Because <laughs> So I think they knew a lot more than they thought they did because they would talk to, to friends who were learning a different way. And it's all about grammar tables. And they were worried because we don't know grammar tables. Um, 
And I think that that is something when people are skeptical of it, they're worried, will my children be able to fill in grammar tables? Because that's what people think of. And I'm like, they'll be able to do so much more. If you're really worried about a grammar table, that's easy to teach at the end of the day. And you can teach it by pulling it from the series. Okay. Um, so I think, you know, the, the challenging thing for me as a mom was I, I could speak German, I could speak French. I was having to learn Italian and Spanish alongside my students who were doing that. And so I've seen it both ways. I've seen what it is to do this method where I know the questions I want to ask and I, I can you know just do it do that effortlessly. And I have done it where you know if I have time, I'm gonna listen to the audio before the lesson, but if not, I'm listening to the audio and my kids know I'm learning alongside them. I am still acting as teacher in terms of holding it accountable, um, but I'm participating right there along. I'm learning to ask the questions I'm having. And honestly, my Italian student, her accent is much better than mine. Um, so sometimes she's correcting me. So I think the challenging thing can be if you are learning it to still just allow yourself to laugh and go with it um, and say, I. You know, I, I'm learning and you're not, and Charlotte really said you shouldn't, the role of the teacher is not to put yourself there as an expert that's, you know, who's imparting this to someone, but we're still always much more comfortable when we already know something. Uh, so, but I think it's brilliant when I don't know things because my daughter will say, well, is this true in Italian? And my answer is, I don't know, let's figure it out. We need to have a hypothesis, which is exactly how Charlotte taught grammar herself. She would start by saying, tell me what you know about this in English and find out from the student, you know, what do you know about where an adjective goes in English? Give me some sentences that have adjectives and let's see, what do you know? Okay, now I'm gonna give you some sentences maybe in German and let's deduce, let's figure out what the rule is. She, she didn't give you rules up front, you had to work for it. So I find when I don't already know the language, it's so much easier to naturally do that. And for my students, my children to have that idea of that's, yeah, we've asked a question and if we've asked a question, we're much more likely to be interested in the answer, right, as opposed to my imposing it, it's like, I just can't wait to teach you about the past tense today. And I've got this neat little table and maybe the students could care less. But if they're asking, you know, how would I say I did this yesterday? <laughs> Excellent question, I'm so glad you asked that. Okay, now I can put that forward. So I, I think it is challenging sometimes, mostly just our headspace to believe that you can do this that it's okay to do it even if you're not fluent and you don't know all the answers. And I actually think it's healthy not to know all the answers. Um, and, to, and to persevere. I think we can get so distracted wanting to do lots of other things. And, and I will say Charlotte does intersperse other things. Her steady diet are the series. And then she does add in singing and she does those actually on off days. You know, she would do two days of French or two days of German, sing German songs on a day where they weren't studying German. Um, so she adds in songs, she does poetry. She has them memorizing poetry. She has them translating by the time they're sophisticated, you know, they've done it a long time. She has them reading short stories. But again, you're working with students who've 
they've studied for a long time before they get to that point, you know. Uh, in the very beginning, they're narrating maybe a sentence. I mean, we're talking little, little um, before school age. So um, I, I think it's just challenging sometimes to have faith that the method actually works that, because it's so different from everything else. So even though you see it working, we still feel that pressure of wanting to add in extra stuff. And um, I think especially for grammar, you know, I, I, when I started doing this and, and trying to provide supplies for people to do it, I was still homeschooling for, I was teaching at the university, I was running a large co-op and then trying to do this on the side. So I think there was, I would tell people, I don't have all the support you need right now, but the method itself and what Francois did, all the support's there. I like how you've actually been trialing this as a student as well, you know, with the Spanish oh, yeah. and Italian, you didn't know yeah. it. So you kind of have had that experience of learning a new language from the beginning using this method as well. Yes. Um, did you notice a difference between learning this and learning German? Because I know you did German at university, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. but you know, the funny thing is, uh, yes, there's, there's so many things that I didn't know how to say. <laughs> because the whole emphasis here is on speaking. And, you know, when I acquired my language, it was all on being able to read literature, which is good, but a lot of ancient literature. Um, and so to be able to narrate my life, okay, that was Gwen's goal, was to be able to narrate my life. I didn't have that vocabulary. So I will tell people, look, I studied at university and I still learn things by going through a volume one, especially verbs, because there's so many verbs. And I was not learning them. That was not part of the approach to language education. So it has been very, very different. Um, I've been surprised, I think, sometimes at how much I can remember. Um, I, my, I laugh to say my Italian is never so good as when I'm trying to speak Spanish or teach Spanish. Uh, but that also has been another learning opportunity to, you know, to start teasing things apart. And um, that's been good. But I do yeah. think you have to be prepared to kind of laugh at yourself sometimes. Yeah, and I yeah, absolutely. I do think that's challenging, <laughs> especially if you're not we, I'll speak for myself. It's very easy, I think, sometimes as a homeschool mom to get kind of worked up about things. And um, that, that doesn't do me any favors. You need to be just calm and relaxed and say, I'm doing the best I can. And I may make some mistakes, but if you're faithful to this method, uh, it's amazing what can be done. Yeah. Yeah, and, um, you know, there may be a lot of people listening to this who have never tried learning another language before, or maybe they have and they found it difficult. Um, yeah. So they might be quite intimidated about trying to do it again or trying to teach their children. But I think yeah. this method just lays it out so simply that really anyone can do it, especially if you like purchase the audio CDs to go yeah. along with the books. You know, it's just so helpful, isn't it? Because you don't have to worry about how you're trying to pronounce it because you will hear right. the correct pronunciation right from the beginning. And that's really important when you're learning a language, isn't it? Getting that pronunciation as exact as you can. 
I think hearing the native speaker makes a big difference. You know, even if you can't imitate it perfectly, and I, I guess I want to say that for people like, you know, my, I can't roll my R's and I love listening to the Italian audio and I end up laughing because I have to work so hard to imitate it. Um, whereas my daughter who's studying it just, it just rolls right off her tongue and it's beautiful, but it does help that I hear where the emphasis goes that I hear the accent that helps so much. Um, and I really feel like giving, giving a gift when you're teaching a language, um, that it's a wonderful thing for families to be able to speak languages, but you're, it's a start, you know, like our own language development continues throughout our lives. And I just think there, you're, whatever we do for our students, we're starting them on a journey, right? And sometimes people will ask me, well, what's the right language to start with? And I, I wanna say, actually, that, that the answer to that really lies with you. And I do think it's important with, if the mom or the dad or whoever's gonna teach, what can you teach that you will persevere with? Um, and that's what you should do. And if your child's interested in another one, then add that second one later, but you should begin with what you can do because that's what will will follow through, and I don't think there's yeah. one right language to do. I yeah, mean, sure. I think it's more important to, you know, think about what a language, any language, brings you, because it's not just about being able to communicate with people. It's also about being able to understand things from a different perspective, you know, yeah. because people all yeah. like we know that language and culture are linked, and you know different people around the world through language they're expressing their culture and mm -hmm. it just gives you like an insight into how other people are thinking and what they're feeling and what they're prioritizing so it's really important just for that you know better understanding of other people and not even necessarily about the communication it just gives you a better understanding being able to take other perspectives into account and things like that so there's so many benefits isn't there to learning a foreign language um, and I think a lot of people don't place enough priority you know they don't place enough emphasis on learning a foreign language I think especially people who've grown up monolingual they might think mm. you know well especially if they're English you know they might think well everyone just speaks English you can go to France and you'll find people that speak English why right. do we need to teach our kids a foreign language so what would you say to them well I think you just hit on a lot of it right there uh, you know as someone who teaches culture um, I do think it's it's true that the wisdom of the world is not contained in any one language. So you are going to get insight. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm going to just say, you, you made a statement about it's not just about communicating, but it, I think it is about knowing. And Charlotte talked a lot about the duty of nations to maintain relations of brotherly kindness. Okay, I think this is very appropriate. <laughs> And in order to do that, you really do have to know, if not in person, know something about another culture and understand how they think, understand how they work. And I do think a language is a very effective way to do that. Now, I'm also an advocate to say, I can learn to speak Chinese and still think like an American, in which case I've got a problem. Okay, so I do think there's more to it. But I do think, Charlotte said, languages are going to be an inlet of knowledge and a means of culture okay so you're getting that in um, but 
but then I think to her, she really felt like every family needed to be prepared to have conversations with families of other cultures as opportunities arise. I think today we tend to assume, okay, well, I'm only going to do this if I need to go somewhere to work or if I'm going to go on a trip. You know, it's the global tourist mindset. And and she's more like, you need to be prepared to be an ambassador for your family and for your nation. And you need to be prepared when things happen and you don't know when they're going to happen, but she's firmly convinced that if you have educated yourself and prepared yourself, that opportunities will come your way. And I, I feel like she's right. I, I see that in my own life. And it, it may end up being that you end up uh, working and using a language every day. It may end up being that you end up helping somebody who's in distress at some point who's you know, I can think of a woman who was from West Africa, was French speaking, who ended up at an airport in Columbus, Ohio, where she was coming to meet family. And she assumed that in the United States, your family would be there to greet you when you got off the airplane like they were in her country, which is not the case. But she sat there for six or seven hours. And someone brought her to my attention. I could speak French and find out what the situation was. And really, it was the other person who was the angel who got her to her family. But I at least could find out what was going on. I mean, I just think there are opportunities. If you can speak the language, opportunities will come your way to be of assistance. To Now, Charlotte really wanted you to be able to have in-depth conversations. So that's why she's adding, in part, you know, songs and poems and literature. You know, she's wanting you to be able to go have conversations about faith and philosophy and all these deep things, and to have that vocabulary, to have those conversations. So she really viewed us as ambassadors, and that we needed to be educated and prepared to be ambassadors, and that it, we should be embarrassed if we were meeting families from other cultures and no one in our family could speak a common language, you know? So I think, you know, that kind of pulls me up because, you know, as someone who loved languages, I thought they were interesting and I loved saying, oh, I can learn so much from these other places, but it was kind of all about me. You know, I can look at this group and that's what I can pull and how that helps me. Where she's very much that servant attitude of I'm going to be representing uh, my family, my nation, I'm going to be I'm going to be reaching out and helping others and serving, not in a way that I've pre-planned, but just simply a way I'm prepared for. And that, I think that's a perspective worth thinking about, you know, that, that she actually, she's put it in terms of that this being a duty, and she actually has a quote from her parents and children in which she posed a question. Is there one subject that claims our attention more than another? Yes, there is a subject or class of subjects which has an imperative moral claim upon us. And, she, and that is, she says, it is the, the duty of every family as an integral part of the nation to be able to hold brotherly speech with the families of other nations as opportunities arise. Therefore, to acquire the speech of neighboring nations is not only to secure an inlet of knowledge and a means of culture, it is a duty of that higher morality, the morality of the family, 
which aims at universal brotherhood. Therefore, every family would do well to cultivate two languages beside the mother tongue, even in the nursery. Wow, so, that is absolutely incredible. Wow. Yeah. So she felt very strongly about this. And to me, that is a much higher, a nobler calling. You know, why should we do this? That puts it in a different light, right? Um, this is not about, oh, I'm hoping to go on vacation and I want to be able to order the taxi and, or Uber and, and pay for everything. This is, I, I really want to be prepared. Yeah. And maybe I'll never leave home. I mean, Miss Mason was also providing these languages to poor coal mining children. You know, she was really advanced for her day thinking poor children need the best of it all. You know, it doesn't matter if they're never going to leave home. They still need the best of it all. And I do think, I will say this, I think, um, you know, when you have that feast, when you're getting the best of the poetry and literature and songs from another culture, you're getting all that beauty and all that goodness. And that can't help but transform you. And I think it does give a sense of, of connection or opening your eyes to what people in this culture have done. And I'll just share, I've just received something from people in Charlotte Mason, Philippines. They're using the series method to teach their children their native tongue. Okay, they're wanting to oh. teach the Tagalog because the young generation only wants to speak English and they're trying to teach them Tagalog. But they have this beautiful Filipino poetry, beautiful Filipino artwork. And just even as I was looking through the materials, I, I kind of could feel this heart pull. Like, these are amazing things that I never knew. I've, I've never learned about Filipino artists. And suddenly I have this desire to know more about the culture. I mean, so Charlotte would say you're developing relationships with those artists, relationships with those authors. And I think it's true. And when you're developing relationships with other people, that does change who you are. It transforms you, right? So yeah. I think it's a wonderful thing to develop those relationships with with all of your local ones, okay? And you in the UK are blessed with more than your fair share. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful, wonderful composers and artists and, and you know, poets and writers. Um, but there is something magical about connecting with them in another place. And then suddenly getting that insight and you do end up with that sense of having connected with another human being, even if it's someone you never meet. And that's yeah. a really special connection. I yeah, think. absolutely. I mean, it's just so interesting to be able to experience things outside of, you know, what you're used to, I guess, because we might spend a lot of time studying um, you know, like the classical composers like Mozart and Beethoven, but then you could go to Philippines and study a composer from there and it would just like open your world up to a completely new style of music and a new form of beauty. And we can't really get that if we just keep so close to, you know, what we're used to. We have to kind of go outside of our comfort zone and learn more things. Yeah, but I would also say that it, it might be the kind of thing where in the Philippines, they might also be listening to Mozart or Bach, yeah. right? But then you look to see what they're saying about them and what they're pulling yeah. from the life is yeah. complete, a completely different idea. Yeah. Um, 
than what Absolutely. we've had or or what they're choosing to paint you know like it might still be impressionist but it's a completely different picture and so i think there are, even where we have common things it's that you talked earlier about different perspectives on them and i think that's what you get too so i love reading things that are from different centuries or different cultures because people will talk about things but their approach is so different they're asking different questions they're thinking about it differently and that challenges me to realize that oh there are diff there are different ways of thinking about this so I just think it's a very special gift. And I, and languages, you know, they open doors, whether you want that to be um, communicating with your neighbor next door or whether it's being able to read something or, you know, just have that thought. But the reality is it does, it opens yeah. doors. And I think if you're someone who really delights in it and in delights in learning about other cultures, that also bears fruit because you end up meeting people, you, you know, whether you're using the language or not, there's just that attitude that comes forward and you end up with these new relationships. Absolutely. You know? And um, I want to finally ask you about the resources that you have created, oh. Cherrydale Press, because um, they're really fabulous resources. Your company is really the only one that I've come across that are producing these series so beautifully <laughs> and um you know I just find it fabulous I've got a couple of the books uh, myself and I've started using the French one with my own children so please tell us a little bit about Cherrydale Press. Well we started Cherrydale Press really to start sharing the series method. Uh, we're growing slowly and I'm hoping to do more but right now we offer French, German, Spanish and Italian uh, and do two volumes. Uh, our second volume of German and Italian will be coming out as soon as I can finish typesetting them because I am the typesetter. We do everything we do within the family. Um, and, uh, but we hire our translators and our native speakers and try and get the best possible experience for everyone. And we, are, we have people working on both European and Brazilian Portuguese uh, and we're in talks right now for Japanese and hopefully soon for Mandarin. So we're trying to expand those, but there are two volumes and really all you have to have is a volume in your hands. Uh, we've tried hard to keep the cost of language learning down, but as you mentioned earlier, if you're not familiar with the language, we provide audio. You don't have to have it, but by all means you can get it. And each volume is really designed to last two to three years. Uh, they'll last you two years if you go at Charlotte Mason's pace, which is truthfully a little faster than most of us in the United States can go, whether it's in a school or homeschool. And I will say people use them in both ways. I've, I have heard people say, oh, this would be great in a classroom. And then I've heard people in the classroom say, oh, this would be great at home. Uh, I know people who do it both ways. It works if you have 40 students and it works if you have one. So... I can testify to that. I've so it's good it. for big families as well. <laughs> oh, it's great for big families. I, I think it's it's good fun and people can always reach out to me at um, admin at cherrydellpress.com. And if you have a big family, I'm happy to share ideas about how to do that because where there's a huge age span, your older students will want to go and do things you know that the younger ones shouldn't be doing. So we can talk about how that how that works. 
we do have ebook versions. Um, I am a big fan of the hardback versions. I just think it's nice. And we worked hard because Miss Mason believed that students should only hold beautiful materials in their hands. So we really worked hard to find um, someone who would give us a beautiful book. And we actually, our printer is Friesen's in Canada. And it's just, they do a lovely job with the linen hardback and the gold foil and it's, it's nice. And the designs, and my husband, I will say, designed the interior format. And I think he did a beautiful job. So that it's very easy, your eye just goes from the English to the French, you know, the verbs are, are identified and I'll give him kudos for that. So you need a volume, whether it's a hardback or an electric one, I mean, electronic, either, either form, the audio, if you want it. And um, that's really all you need. I have been working on lesson plans for a while because people request them, but I am a firm believer that parents are the best at coming up with those. I do have a, a guide for teaching the language for people who want to know more about teaching the language. And I have just, I'm about to finish a second edition of that. That will be out on our website in August, just updating some things I've, I would say, I've learned that people need to hear. That was there so is that before. a physical book, the guide, or is it just the, online? The guide, the guide is just an ebook. It's a PDF. Yeah. Okay. It's an ebook. Um, and someday I may get that out in physical form. Right now, supply chains are very challenged, and even we're finding it hard to get more of our hardback books done. Um, so I'm trying to think of what else. And eventually I hope to do some more training for people. Like I'm, I'm training a group of teachers right now in French. And I hope to make, do more of that to help support people as they have questions. I've done some, uh, have a request to do some in Austria. Um, so as I go around and it's interesting, people all over are starting to discover this. And That's really interesting. I wonder how they've come across really it. Fun. Oh, yeah. you know, I have a group of teachers in Brazil who found oh. actually my teaching, the teaching ebook and chose to read it for a book club, which still amazes me, but wow. absolutely, absolutely delightful. You know, the, the gift of Zoom, I could Zoom in and talk about it with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so people are really interested in, I think, Miss Mason's method. They're starting to be really interested in the Guan series. And I will say, University professors have never completely dropped Gouin, but they will use him as like you might learn one or two. So they right. don't use it as a method. It's more like, here's an interesting thing. Let's yep. do how to make a sandwich, right? Or something. Um, I do think Miss Mason is really big on the idea of method. If a method is tapped into something that is true, like she would say, it is a truth that we learn by narration. Mm -hmm. uh, so she would have said Gwen's method was true. She says, you know, it only helps if you do it every time. So she pointed out that when we learned about, you know, surgeons that they needed to be washing their hands, you know, before doing surgery and using, you know, antiseptic, she's like, that helped, but it only helped if they did it every time. Mm -hmm. And it's true. And I think that yeah. that, the challenge is for most of us that we want to do something a little bit and then we're distracted and we want to try something else. 
So I, I encourage people to really persevere and because it, it makes a big difference. And sometimes people are skeptical because these are, I mean, the volumes aren't that big, but they have 42 series, right? And I'm like, yeah, that will take you through a couple of years worth of learning if you are really going at it. If you are really working, you'll get through it in two years. And it's just, it's fun to get the email from people. I got one from a mom who told me she'd been keeping track of her Spanish verbs. And she says, I now know 56 of them. She says, and I really know them. I really know them. I thought, wow, good for you. you know, that's amazing. So think of how many things you can say with all those verbs. Yeah, to absolutely. me, that's really encouraging. So, uh, so we do have the books at cherrydalepress.com and we do ship worldwide if we can. Uh, right now there's some restrictions, but we ship to anyone that we can and um, just really enjoy meeting people like yourself. This has been so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today, Alison. It's been absolutely wonderful to talk to you and learn all about the method and how to implement it. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for asking the questions. I've enjoyed this. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have some free time, it would be great if you could leave a review. I love reading your reviews. I love hearing about what you thought of the podcast and it just helps other families like yours find the podcast and benefit from it. I'll be here next week with another episode of the Wonder and Learn podcast.